Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of, I almost said, Child Care Bar and Grill. (laughs) But this is actually That Early Childhood Nerd. And I'm Heather Brent Santi, and Mike Huber is on the show today. Hello. Hello, Mike. <laughs> and we were just talking about the child care bar and grill. So there's a reason that it was in my brain, I guess. Um, so uh, we're going to do another episode. We haven't done one of these for a long time, it feels like, where Mike has listened this time on my request <laughs> to some episodes that I did for child care bar and grill with child care, child care bar and grill about schema play theory. Um, and I, it's something I'm, I'm thinking about a lot lately. And um, these, these episodes where you, you make me talk more about what I said on a previous <laughs> episode are really helpful for me. So yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you for being willing to do that. Sure. Um, so the, the quote that we're going to start with is just sort of, um, general schema stuff. So, uh, and this is from a book called Understanding Schemas in Young Children, again, again, edited by Sally Featherstone, and it comes from um, the UK. Uh, She's she's English. Um, So the quote is, babies and young children are methodical, systematic, and logical as they gather information through their senses and movement, and as they interact with people, objects, and the environment. Knowledge and understanding of schemas enables practitioners to support and challenge children's thinking, their ideas, and their developing concepts. The end of the quote. Okay. (laughs) So what what do you want? Well, it's funny because I was going to ask you two different ways, but with that quote, I'm going to go a different direction than I thought I'd start with. But one thing as sort of an outsider that um, does find what I know about schema theory to be useful Mm -hmm. but at the same time what worries me is that I can see people taking it to only be about cognition only about how a child thinks yeah and that quote just made me (laughs) feel that way even more because we're we're challenging the children on how they think not on how they move how they interact with with materials which to me um, one, I will say, I was just telling you beforehand that my hive mind, teaching with the body and mind, so there's four of us, we talk about the children think through movement. So when you say to a child, stop, you know, stop moving around, stop t- um, fidgeting, whatever, we're saying, mm-hmm. stop thinking, stop yeah. thinking. And I worry that for some people, they can take this idea of schema, and we should talk more about what it is yeah. soon, yeah. but I do worry that people are thinking that it's only about thinking versus mm-hmm. how children are moving, which that's to me the most freeing part about the theory yeah. is allowing more movement. So just curious, how do you, do you find others having that issue? Like sort of taking it to mean 
I'm focusing on. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I do. Um, I mean, I still don't interact much with people who use the theory a lot. Yeah. Um, it's still pretty, um, I think, surf superficially understood in the States. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely, I do think that some people take it and read about the neural pathways that come from the repetition of schema play, um, the strengthening of those neural pathways and all of the math concepts and language that children experience when they when they engage in different schemas, schema explorations. But one of the parts that one of the things that I do really think uh, schema could be useful for is that <clears throat> supporting the movement and the physical development. Um, some of the schemas um, transporting in, in, in closure sometimes, um, orientation and perspective, find children or, or what we see children doing when they explore those schemas is very much moving their bodies and being yes. very active and um, uh, uh, in, in, in bigger ways than just sitting and playing with one you know, counting bears or something. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and so that's one of the things that I think schema play theory can be really useful for is bringing movement back into our thought processes mm -hmm. and the ways that we support and, and plan environments for children. Yeah, good. So the, in a oh, way, good. so it's, it's a little <laughs> bit like the, um, right, like I feel like when Reggio is the buzzword, it, a, a lot of people bought baskets. Yes. And then like, we're good. We've got baskets and, and maybe some pine cones or something. Yeah. If I start hearing programs call themselves schema inspired, I might explode. Right, right. Yeah. Because that's what they do with the Reggio. You know, we know yeah. we're not, we're not fully, you've called us out. We're not fully Reggio, but we're Reggio inspired. We have baskets. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And we, and we call our teachers different words. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's right. Sorry. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. I forgot what the word is. I know. Yes. I can't either. Remember. Um, well, if we use Italian words, then, you know, you know, we must be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, that's good to hear, because like I said, that is like my biggest fear. So you as a teacher or when you're talking to people who are working directly in classrooms, mm -hmm. um, like what is what do you tell? How do you explain to them that this is something worth doing or thinking about schema play in general schema play in general piece. oh just just schema play in general because to me i mean in a way i mean the theory itself is that kids are already doing this right it's the teacher understanding it and what does the teacher do with that yeah yeah um yeah so um uh well again and this is sort of just a language trick that i appreciate about this is that if i can call it schema play theory people for whom just saying children deserve play click on a different part of their brain than when I just say children need play they deserve it we have decades of research so right. for people who aren't quite convinced that they can have a rich quote-unquote program for young children where play is the main thing right um I, I've seen a, a better connection talking about schema play yeah. Um, and um, so I usually just talk about how um, it's patterns we see in the way children play. And it's, mm -hmm. um, you know, based on the work of Chris Athey and many other, you know, a few others after her, mostly in the UK. Um, and and mostly my, my, my pitch is 
if we can start to identify and, and ourselves become comfortable with looking for those, um, then it's easier to sort of accept that there is learning happening right. <laughs> while children are playing and that yeah, it's yeah. not just from the shoulders up kind of right. learning. It is the, it, it is mm -hmm. the whole body. Um, so for some, I have to make connections between like, um, uh, orientation and perspective, for example, uh, is, is when children experiment with, um, positioning and sometimes right. it's their own body hanging upside down and yep. going up the slide instead or coming down the slide head first instead of, um, feet first or whatever. Um, or things like transporting where sometimes they're moving things that are quite heavy and giving right. their, their body, that kind of work. Um, really, you know, you can connect that to the things that the skeptics right. find important, like, well, that's yep. building up proprioception and you want them to have proprioception for later sitting in a chair and writing things, you know, right. you can, you can make sure. those connections for those who need that right. piece of it. But in the process, they kind of also start to appreciate play more. Um, sure. You know, the, the, the argument that got them was an academic argument essentially, right. but, but as they engage in it, then they start to see lots of different ways right. that children so are. You're are giving the academic argument so that they can kind of, okay, so I don't, yeah. I can settle down. And, and in some ways I think of it as why, like you don't need the worksheet to do this. You don't yeah. you need the worksheet of which is, you know, is the, duck on top of the table or under the table or <laughs> right like yeah. having kids climb on the table yeah <laughs> or under the table right is that I mean yes yeah under the table is a big big one um and yeah and, and we can still if we feel like we need to have a more active role than just allowing it supporting it and planning you know making sure right. materials are there for it if we need to have that more active role we can be narrating you know as oh you're under right. the table and and sure. and offer that stuff that maybe we thought could only be offered on a worksheet before we started thinking about this one. Right. Yeah. And so in some ways, I guess for me, it helps to think of it as a lens to look at. Mm -hmm. Cause like when you talked about going upside down on the slide or yeah. just going upside down in general, I immediately go to the like senses and sensory things of right away. I was thinking vestibular sense, uh -huh. you know, getting your body in different orientations and, uh -huh. and um, I'm even using the word for the schema word, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. But I'm thinking of it. How is that affecting the uh, fluid in the ear, and the child getting, you know, that input, that sensory input? Mm -hmm. Which, for me, sensory input is finding that balance of how much do I need to be ex to be exciting enough to do it, mm -hmm. and then how much is too much, and finding that balance. And things can get boring if I don't have enough sensory input. Uh -huh or I, I, lose, I lose attention. I mean, when we say boring, what, what we mean is brain activity literally slows down <clears throat> when children sit still. Yeah. And so, so it's just interesting to think of that. It's just a different lens. And what I like about having all these different, well, what I can find a little intimidating, but also really interesting is <laughs> the, the list of different things. But what I like about it is it then if for someone who's not prone to it, to be curious, mm -hmm. like, gee, is that enveloping or enclosing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And in some ways it doesn't matter if you're appreciating it. Right. But then it can help you with what materials might be good to bring in now. 
Yeah. I, I think the, I mean, I, I love, I'm really excited about schema, <laughs> this, this theory. Yeah. And, please um, <laughs> and I, and, uh, I love to talk about it, but for, for my own perspective, I love it because it deepens what I'm able to observe with young children. It deepens my own understanding of what they are already competent in what they are interested in. It helps me understand that more deeply. Like, um, so if a child's throwing something and I just say, oh, he loves throwing, I'm going to bring in a lot of, you know, a lot more balls or something. That's kind of a superficial observation. But if I look at, oh, he's throwing under, or he's really trying to throw into, or he um, he's throwing something that's heavy and then throwing something that's lighter. And I'm looking at it as a trajectory schema right. and I can, I can support it much more deeply by having those different things and allowing it to happen. Mm -hmm. But also I think it's such a good tool for um, sort of coaching adults for advocating for, for play. Sure. Okay. okay. I think that's where I really. Um, so say more about that. How yeah. would it be? So what is someone going to do on Twitter or <laughs> I'm assuming when you say advocacy, that's what I think of. Is oh, well, Instagram, it sure could be, sure could be but, on but whatever, however you meant that by what yeah. do you mean by advocating for yeah. play? So um, for one thing, I, I think teachers struggle not so much uh, with accepting play themselves, but struggle with what other people will think and say if they're just quote unquote doing play in their classrooms or just allowing children to play. And I think schema theory gives them a very tidy vocabulary to use and an easy framework to use um, to help other people see the, the, what's happening and why they're allowing all play. But I also really strongly believe that if we're going to make changes regarding specifically the academic pushdown, we need families on our side. We need families sure. to know what, um, what kinds of things to look for and ask for and demand instead of calling the child care program and saying, um, do children learn there or do they just play or how do you get my child ready for school? Yep. I, I think that this could be used to educate families too. Sure. And that's a, a, a term I have a complicated relationship with educating families, but, but give them that same sort of easy framework to start to see play is deeper than I thought it was. Right. And maybe then they start asking how much time do children play <laughs> or yeah, yeah. Um, what's, what's your philosophy about play instead of well, how do you get them ready for school? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the nice, like, so when I think about it with schema, we're talking about different things that children will already do, and we can be giving them materials and whatever type of interaction if yeah. they need it um, to help them, encourage them to do more or go mm -hmm. farther with it. Yeah. So therefore, if a parent understands that, they're going to be like, oh, good. So wait a minute. Why are they only playing for one hour a day? Yeah. Shouldn't they be playing for four? Yeah, <laughs> that's my dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, um, my, my coworker at, uh, the Purdue preschool, the SLP that I worked with in the preschool, um, has a, a toddler and, you know, we haven't worked together for a, a year or so now, but she still will send me pictures of like weird stuff he does and ask right. me what schema that might be. And I love those conversations. And most recently it was like, he had his water bottle and then it looked like maybe a, a dry spaghetti some kind mm -hmm. of stick stuck into the water bottle and then like a donut hole or something 
right. popped onto the top. And it would really be easy to look at that and say, this is meaningless. This is just weird. Right. What is he doing? But it could be um, transforming. Mm-hmm. It could be positioned right. and orient, you know, position and ordering. Um, yep. It could be connecting and disconnecting right. schemas. And um, uh, yeah, or- I find the, to be honest, I find when I work with teachers in my program, it's snack time or lunchtime that I feel like they could really use like when the kids are crushing the crackers uh-huh. in their cup, you know, putting in the milk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they or like their peas, it. smashing their peas and putting yeah, it in yeah. the milk. That's another and popular then they one. Try it. And then like, oh, this tastes horrible. But to appreciate the thinking that's going on, the the um the transformation, mm-hmm. the, you know, and all that. And appreciating that versus stop playing with your food. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know there can be a balance with wasting food. And right. Things. I don't want right. to downplay that. But at the same time, sometimes there are kids who will crush things and actually eat them too. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, if it's a worry about food, then it'd be like, oh, you know, let's find something else to, <laughs> yeah. you know, mix together. But mm-hmm. um but I, I really, I see that all the time and, and teachers not, that's a time when I really see teachers not appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. and, and granted, you know, we, or other times when it's not the play time, you know, in their head, yeah. whatever, getting ready to go outside, you know, putting out, um, well, we, it's not winter anymore, finally. <laughs> um, we, we've had a week of spring so far here in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, kids aren't putting on snow pants anymore, but when they were, there would be a lot of um, play. Sometimes the trajectory, mm-hmm. uh, yes. you know, of throwing my hat across the <laughs> or way. Just or just up in the air. Or yeah. up in the air. Or if they have stretchy, uh, you know, elastic, like pulling mm-hmm. on it and letting go and watching where it goes. And um, yeah, yeah env- enveloping something else besides where the snow pants Their are body. supposed to go. But, <laughs> yeah. Or like, can I put the snow pants over my head? Won't uh-huh. that be interesting? Yeah. Um, so that's the times when I see teachers like, wait, this is supposed to be, we're just getting ready to go do a thing. Mm-hmm. We're not, this part isn't like, this is wasted time sort of thing versus, you know, the yeah. thing we're going to do. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the other um, things that I see really connecting when I talk to people about schema play and the different schemas, um, which we haven't really defined or listed, but maybe we'll do that here in a minute. <laughs> what the scheme I was I, I made a note like do you do you trust your listeners are so nerdy they've well, already I mean, some of them either knew it or they googled it yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do it in a minute but I don't want to forget this piece um it connects and it's another fr- another lens to see what we would typically call misbehavior and sort of see it in a different mm-hmm. way so like I think especially about trajectory um yeah. or connecting and disconnecting like knocking down a block tower could be a connecting and disconnecting schema and not a mean child. Um, so, so it gives us another sort of filter to go through when we pause, which we should pause before we respond to something that we you know, right. are inclined to define as, as misbehavior. If we have an understanding that this might instead be a child um, exploring a schema, uh, then what, you know, I'm, again, I'm not saying that we let a child throw a heavy unit block through the air and we don't do, you know, we right. just say, oh, that's just trajectory and that's right. cool. Um, but it helps us again, like if we want to redirect 
specifically what was it that he was exploring or she was exploring right that block so helps me make a better connection to right like so what can they test trajectory this with yeah 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 so yeah so what what the (laughs) is schema theory and what are these we've been saying some of these terms yeah so um oh i think maybe it was in the 70s chris athey in um uh also i think she's english um uh did some was doing some observations and research and discovered that there were repeated patterns she saw in children's play um and she identified over 40 but she sort of narrowed it down or people we have since then i guess sort of narrowed it down and there's lots of other um uh i guess great minds who have who have uh written about it and and researched it a little bit but um so typically here in the states i guess i'll say what i what i see us really zooming in on in terms of the schema is um transporting trajectory um transforming which is my favorite one of my favorites um, rotation and circularity enclosure and enveloping connecting and disconnecting positioning and ordering and orientation and perspective. Um, and so just like, so as an example, I've, I've told this story a lot, so people may have heard this one, but we did have, um, and you know, people get nervous when they hear repetitive play. <laughs> you right. you yep. probably know that um, from your own work, but um, uh, we had a child whose parent was really concerned that all he wanted to play with was trucks. And mm-hmm. she interpreted that as a red flag that maybe he was um, autistic. Right. Um, and so she was very worried and her, and that led her to asking us to not let him play with trucks right. so that he would go out and do other kinds of play. And, um, I, I wasn't willing to, to do that without trying some other things first. So we just thought, well, what if this is a rotation and circularity thing for him? Um, what if it's the wheel, the movement of the wheels that's really attractive to him and that he's exploring? Right, right. So we added rotation wherever I could think of. Uh, So like in the art space, we had uh, rollers for paint and we put cars at the easel so he could drive it through the paint instead of using a paintbrush. And um, outside we we added an extra wagon and in the dramatic play, we put a stroller. And um, in the water table, we had the water wheels. And um, he still preferred trucks, but he went out and he moved out and he played with some of those other things that we had added to the other areas. So that's just sort of confirmed for me that it probably was a rotation and circularity schema that he was exploring. Right, right. And then that opened up sort of the value of all those other areas of play. Sure. But still met that need he had. Yeah. And I have to just interject with, and I know you only gave part of the conversation, but then the concept of neurodivergence, I think is another thing that we uh, shorthand. Uh Uh-huh. And the idea of neurodivergence, um, Judy Singer was the person who coined the term. Her whole point was rather than thinking of things as the bad disabled thing and the the good thing, and then we have red flags to know if the bad thing might be happening. We think of, oh, there's a lot of different ways of thinking in this world. Divergence um, <laughs> or diversity, so neurodiversity. And neurodivergence just means there's a less typical way of thinking of things. And mm-hmm. so um, when 
we think of, oh, a child is playing with one thing over and over, they might be autistic, they might not. There's also, you know, we talk about a spectrum and it's not a linear spectrum, it's a radial spectrum. Uh-huh. So it might be more about their, um, really, I guess you could think of it as play schema. Mm-hmm. It could yeah. be about their Sometimes. sensory, it could be about their social things, and it could be all of those. But mm-hmm. just that idea that being okay with it. And I know working with parents, I work with a lot of parents who are finding yeah. out about their children. Yeah, there is a, a grief process that happens in a, in a um, you know, denial of who their child might be. Mm-hmm. Um, because if your child is something, like if your child, um, you know, has another condition that doesn't allow their, them to walk, not giving them a wheelchair doesn't make them walk. Mm-hmm. And if the child had been hyper-focused for some, you know, neurodivergent reason, they're not going to lose the hyper-focus just mm-hmm. because you, of you know, keep them from doing it. Right, right. And in fact, if anything, that might mask, they might learn to mask that about themselves, but that creates mental other, health issues. Other problems, so I just yeah. had to throw that in there just because yeah. for people listening who don't work with as diverse a population in, in terms of neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. I just want to throw it in there. <laughs> yeah, because that was a, a very small snapshot of yeah, what yeah, was going yeah. on with that of family course. and child. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So um, one thing that I'm curious then as a, so I'm not a skeptic at all. I don't want to say that. Well, what I love is that there's like uh, uh, Chris Avery, Chris? Athey. Athey. Yeah like had all the like 40 different ones. And I understand too, that that's too many to like, when you're in the classroom, right? like, oh, that's, you know, whatever, going through that long list. So I appreciate that. And in some ways to me, it's less important, even figuring out is that rotation or position is less important than they're doing something. Something's going on in in their body and brain that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I want to support that. Yeah. And schema gives a good way of, like you said, trying out all those other, you know, the art thing, you know, different things. And if uh-huh. you were wrong, you might've then tried, oh, is it more about transporting and right. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and tried a different one. So it gives a way of thinking about it. Um, but I'm curious because so much is about interacting with objects mm-hmm. or your body what I haven't seen from my little knowledge is more about like social connection. Oh, yeah. And, and, um, cause I feel like there's things kids do naturally to try to connect socially. So like some of the obvious ones chase, you could go anywhere in the world and you see somebody kind of go near someone and then start to run and then look mm-hmm. back to see if the person's chasing mm-hmm. and, and you can do it with a dog or, you know, you can do it with other animals even. Yeah. But, you can do it with a human and anywhere in the world, you will find another kid who will start chasing you and mm-hmm. you'd never have to speak a word. Um, and then the kids who, you know, tell fart jokes or whatever <laughs> too, because it gets a reaction, but there's something, yeah. but there's like, it's a pretty universal thing. It might not be farts, but whatever, <laughs> whatever is going to drive the adults nuts and make uh-huh. the kids laugh, they're uh-huh. going to do. So I'm just curious if schema gets into that at all, or is that just a different Um, type of? A little bit. I I don't think that's a really interesting um, direction to, to think there, there is some that I've, and I haven't read everything ever written about schema. There is some conversation about the social, but you've probably read more than anyone else. (laughs) 
everything I can find so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've highlighted. Um, so, so there is some discussion of social value or social, how do I want to say this? Um, the ways it can impact social interaction for the, the one that comes to mind. And, and this is maybe the most simplistic for, for me right now, but, um, the first thing that comes to mind is just that children's social interactions are deeper when we allow them to play and follow their own um, ideas than when we sit down and try to plan something and make them do things with us. So I think that if children are out there playing and inevitably then if they're playing, we will see, and not every child shows like obvious schema explorations, you know, like for the one child I talked about it, circularity in rotation was a whole thing. Um, but for some children, we just see moments of it, not a whole pattern anyway. Um, they're uh, they're going to be choosing to interact with others. I think when we see we see deeper communication exchanges, different levels of language use um, during that kind of play than we do during organized uh, adult-led activities or even play-like activities. So I think in that way, there's a, a great social um, impact yeah. um, and way of looking at it at it. And um, I think, mm, I was thinking maybe I could make a connection right now to, to taking others' perspectives, but I'm not quite ready <laughs> to, 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 to expand on that. I need to, right. yeah, that. but yeah. I think that, I think there's probably some perspective taking in there for social right. um, consideration. Yeah. No, I, I was just interested in that because, I mean, it, and I totally get like a lens, just like when I do a sensory lens, it yeah. doesn't have a lot about connection, social connection with kids too. So each lens won't do everything. That's why yeah. we, as teachers need right. multiple lenses. Yeah. But I was just curious about that because there's so much about connection. And um, I mean, a lot of these terms you could also use as a social connection, social, social orientation. Yeah. Um, social maybe positioning. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well but I, having to sit next to their friend. Yeah. There is, that's a, a, there's something there that's positioning in order. Yeah, there is like, who, who do I get to sit by? Who do I get to be by? But that's also like when children are having to move in lines mm -hmm. um, or when one child races to be the front of the line all the time. And we assume that he's like selfish and, and yeah. whatever, but really he's just about positioning and ordering. Right. Um, right. So there is, there is some element of, of that. Um, yeah. uh, I think when they pretend together, when children pretend sure. play together, yeah. there's transforming and, um, uh, perspective, you know, orientation and perspective can right. be, can fit in there too. I sure. think about that one more and, it's, and observe more. And it seems like, yeah, in pretend you could have different kids sort of, um, using different schema in the same process. I mean, the thing I love about yeah. pretend play is that you can be at different levels of social interaction. You can have the kid who's just a kitty and <laughs> walks behind everyone and yeah. does all has all they have to do is say meow. Uh -huh. And then you have the the person, usually the mom, who's telling everyone what to do. Yeah. And and then you have the kid who's gonna like set the table and all they want to do is spend, you know, 20 minutes putting out plates mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then rearranging the plates. Yeah. And then you know, whatever. And so all of those things, it allows for all these different schema happening at the same time. So mm -hmm. it's a good, 
like framework. One way that I saw myself use this um, a few months ago when I was first getting to know this child who um, has some some sort of neurodivergent characteristics. Mm -hmm. um, and he was in the classroom. And I think I might have told the story on your podcast back in November for a different reason. But okay. basically, he had these, there were these superhero, um, I like to call them dolls, but they're usually called action figures, because uh -huh. they're for boys. Yeah. Quote, unquote. <laughs> but um, he would set it on the shelf, because he was laying on top of the shelf, right? So I looked at it as a sensory reason why mm -hmm. he was up there, not, yeah. a, not an orientation or positioning, yeah. but that could have been it too. Yeah. But then he would, I, he would put a superhero on the shelf and then push it. So, and that's something I definitely see kids do with trajectory uh -huh. pushing from a height. So then the thing goes out in a straight line at first before uh -huh. it arcs down and depending uh -huh. on how fast you push it, you know, it goes farther. Change it. Yeah. But so I put another superhero there and he did the same and, you know, we kept doing it and doing it and a child came over and looked at, and so in my head, I was using the, the little bit I knew about trajectory. He is really interested in watching mm -hmm. this. And another child came over who is one of those kids that's always worried about the rules. <laughs> and I was just the coach in this room. Um, partly one of the teachers had left. So I was sort of kind of, there was a sub in there too. And so I'm kind of helping out, but I'm just going with it. Right. Uh -huh. They're like, this is great. And the kid comes over and it's like, um, I don't think he's supposed to be on the shelf or no, not think oh. he is not supposed to be on the oh, shelf. Okay. Like, and I just said, well, I think it makes him feel more comfortable. She's like, Oh, okay. And then he's not supposed to be throwing those toys. It's like, Oh, he's really interested in watching how they go in the air. Uh -huh. She's like, Oh, uh -huh. so then she's watching for a while. And then she finally says, wow, he's really good at this. <laughs> That's awesome. And then after all the, the, um, superhero uh, dolls were on the floor. She put them back in the basket and brought them over and she started doing it with him mm -hmm. instead of me. Uh -huh. So it gave me an opportunity to notice what he was doing. And this is a child of few words and few, um, and there's definitely some social interaction. He's, he has a hard time explaining what he's doing. Oh, okay. But I also know that he can't take off his shoes without then throwing them across the room. <laughs> right. So that it's telling me something. Yeah. So having this, even my little knowledge on schema theory gave me a chance of like, oh, I think this is the play uh -huh. for him right yeah. now. Yeah. And by being able to articulate that to a child, she was able to appreciate his play in a way that he would have been the kid, you know, that, oh, ignore him. He's always throwing things. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, so I don't want to, like, I'm just, I guess, reiterating that, like, I think schema can help with social development. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about how it, if there's a lens in itself or if that's a separate. Yeah. Thing. I need but, to go yeah. look at some of those other 32. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it may Schemas be that just the way we as a field value school readiness, yeah. that those are the ones that, you know, survived and that she actually talked a lot about yeah. or talked about the social aspect. But it, like I said, it could also just be the lens and I'm, you know, not saying that there's, you know, that the theory is useless just because it doesn't look at that, but just yeah. that it's interesting to me because it, it seems so obvious. And at the same time, I wouldn't say they're the same social yeah. connection and connecting 
objects is not the, not the same kind of connection. Yeah. But I, I, so I think that um, even if there isn't a specific schema that can be connected to social interactions or development, um, uh, uh, embracing, allowing play because you know about schema will lead to more social practice. Right, with, right. Between the children. Yeah, um, that's a great way to say it. I I totally see that. Yeah, yeah. So then my other part of that, and this is actually what I thought of first. Okay. Yesterday, we were recording a podcast about, um, oh, let me get the terminology. I liked it. Um, allowing for risky play for mastery-oriented thoughts instead of antiphobic effects. So in a sense, when a child's trying to do something, don't have them focus on what if you fall, Uh focus on reaching the next bar on the monkey bars or the next branch on the tree Uh Um, and written in a very academic way. But (laughs) but as we were talking about it, I was like, oh, and I knew I was going to talk to you today. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's a schema, like the the whole idea of the the attraction to risky play I'm curious if you see any connection. So are you familiar with the five types of risky? No, players? well, I'm, I've heard them, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, name them. Um, great speeds uh, or whatever, you know, um, yeah. great heights, uh-huh. rough and tumble. Um, oh my God, no, I'm forgetting. <laughs> Good. I, I named the ones that I thought <laughs> yeah. fit orientation first. They can Google for the rest of them, but yeah. Or fit schema first. Yeah. I do think the heights and speed there's something there. And then, yeah. um, oh yeah, I'm totally forgetting the others yeah. right now. But um, I do how- think that, I mean, trajectory for <laughs> sure, moving moving things through space in different ways yeah. that includes the body sometimes. And that can lead to some, to some risky play or some great speeds. <laughs> oh, I remembered the other two. Oh, yeah. Dangerous elements and dangerous tools. Oh or, yeah. You know, but anyways. Yeah. Fire, the fire schema. Yeah, yeah. Um, Orientation and perspective. I mean, Uh things look different from up high than they do from down low. Um, I think there's connecting and disconnecting whenever you're climbing. Um, uh, That could be part of that exploration. Um, uh, Rotation and circularity um, is a lot in um, how children use like merry-go-round and how Uh they hold their bodies on those merry-go-rounds standing or sitting or trying to stay up or laying flat, um, all gives them different, essentially data. (laughs) I mean, that's what, that's what this, you know, I, when I do the workshop, I talk about this, the play schema as like a file folder and they're getting all the information they can about that rotation. So if my file folder is rotation, Right. Then every experience I have where I each can... experience is another highlighter. Going yes, like... another highlighter. <laughs> yeah, I should use a highlighter metaphor instead of that, instead of data. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, so, like I said, even if we don't see a child neatly fit into, oh, he's always pretty much exploring rotation. Um, if we see them doing something that could be, could fit in a rotation schema, that still gives us information for how to support what sure. kinds of things to, to have around for them and, um, permission to allow it. Yeah. And what I like about that is telling teachers about the five types of risk, risky play 
doesn't convince them to allow kids to do risky play. <laughs> Speaking from a lot of experience, uh-huh. yeah. I'm in my mind, it's like, isn't that exciting? They're, they want to do this. They really like yeah. tools, being able to use the tools and not just the plastic ones, using yeah. the one that's going to, that could cut them if they, yeah. you know, weren't being careful. Um, but yeah, it doesn't help people. And this was the quote I was thinking of um, on childcare bar and grill. You talked uh-huh. about the way that schema is the one through that seems to really help you get teachers to yeah um uh you just said sort of it connects to them is all you said and Mm -hmm. i actually wanted you to say more about if you have examples or just the ways that you see people connecting it because like i said just telling them oh isn't that great that they're climbing high because they like dangerous Uh yeah but the but the motivator probably is orientation they're probably curious Mm -hmm. what will it look like up there yeah and then they start to go up and their heart starts beating faster. And so then they have that other thing. But I think uh-huh. in some ways, the risky play is only observation. It doesn't get at why would they climb high? Why yeah. do they want to go fast? I mean, it, although honestly, the thrill. So that's where yeah, um, there is something about getting your heart rating, the arousal state. Sure. Yeah. Is always a motivating factor. Yeah. But how do you see it? helpful with teachers with yeah. educators so I find it a lot with toddler teachers actually because okay. so much of what toddlers do that confuses people the filling and dumping and the just crawling over each other and acting like you don't even see the person in front of you can actually sort of tie into patterns of of these schema that help them understand okay so they're not just little weirdos they're not just rude and and egocentric although they are egocentric but in a different way than they're talking about um so, so it's toddler teachers that connect, but honestly, anytime I do the schema workshop, um, or like when I've worked with, um, the graduate students at Purdue who hadn't had typically any kind of play, um, education about Mm -hmm. play other than, um, like gamification kind of stuff. Um, but I, I can see, I can see their faces responding in a way that I don't always see in other presentations or workshops and sure. it's it's more common than that I will get um, someone who sends me like the pictures that Anne sends me and said what schema is this or we're out in the classroom right. together and they'd be like so this is what you're talking about um, right. and I, I don't always get that when I talk just about the value of play or sure other ways that children benefit from play so it's right. just and they wouldn't even see dumping toys as play right yeah without it so yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah um, cool. like yeah. Anne sent me, I just have to tell another story about her toddler. Yeah, she yeah, sent me please. a picture of this plastic hot dog on the toilet seat, like the closed <laughs> toilet seat. And she's like, he carries this everywhere and just leaves it in the weirdest places. Well, that could be transporting. Yeah. <laughs> it could be transforming. You know, what how does this how does this hot dog look different in different right. spaces? Yeah. Or it could just be, you know. And yet who doesn't Something you know, have different. like if if a child has pockets things are transporting yes and um and what else do i call do i fit enclosing and enveloping i would say enclosing yeah things in their pockets yeah they're not little thieves (laughs) they're maybe exploring how to enclose this car completely in their pocket and you have to keep in mind that if you're going to have any holes any empty baskets any anything in your room it is going to get filled it's an invitation yeah which at the same time I often say to toddler teachers, why don't you have a few extra containers that have nothing in them? Because mm-hmm. what's going to happen is kids are going to take it out of one basket and put it in the other. Yeah. 
you know, not all the time, but that's one of the places. Um, Tom Bedard from my podcast, mm-hmm. um, who does a lot of stuff around sensory tables, um, hit what well, the first thing he did was added a like five gallon, you know, pickle bucket basically mm-hmm. in near the sensory table because he knew that kids were going to take scoop up stuff and then dump it on the floor. And he's like, Oh, what if I put a bucket nearby? Yeah. He never had to explain it. Or yeah. no, that's not totally true. What he would say is rather than saying, keep it in the sand, you know, the sensory table, he would say, put it in the bucket uh-huh. and, and they got so excited. So then they yeah. just move it all over. And yeah. Um, yeah, just, but I think there's that idea. I actually did some experiment uh, prep work for this uh-huh. conversation. Uh-huh. I was in a toddler room and a kid was stacking blocks, like cardboard blocks and then kicking them, or they were foam blocks in this oh, case. Uh-huh. And I, after having listened to the, <laughs> One of the charges that's probably about connecting or ones, disconnecting. It was the connecting disconnect. That's what it was. And I said, Oh, wow, look, the blocks are all over the floor now. I was just mm-hmm. describing the position. Yeah. So he laughed, set them up, you know, should we do it again? Set it up again. He kicked them. Mm-hmm. And I said it one more time. And by the time I said it the second time, three other kids had now come over and were stacking. Yeah. And we had run out of foam blocks. So then there were some like tree cookies. <laughs> so for one kid's like, do you want to do with three cookies? Like, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and they are, um, you know, real, they're not quite parallel. So you uh-huh. can only stack so up high. Yeah. But the great thing is it would just fall. That child, they weren't even trying to make it fall necessarily. It would just fall over. Uh-huh. Um, Cause the way he, he was kicking the foam ones, like they're flying pretty far. Uh, like, I'd be a little worried yeah. if the, if the wood ones were going yeah. quite as far. Yeah. And then they get the experience of, you know, Oh, this is new information. These right. these softer blocks move differently than these tree blocks. Right, do. right. Yeah. And that sense of it's this big. I kind of, kind of think of a, I, I was going to say Frobelian. I don't know if that's the word, but Froebel's like idea mm-hmm. of unity, right? Yeah. That you'd have the blocks that he created, the Froebel yeah. blocks, all make one shape. Yeah. And then you can take them apart to make other shapes. Yeah. But and that's, everything goes back to a cube or a, a yeah. sphere. Yeah. The the program where Chris Athey did her original research was called the Froebel Project, and it was originated. There we and, go. Yeah, so excellent connection. Oh, thank Good you. I, that was on purpose. <laughs> purpose. Yeah. Um, you know. I, so I I think we probably have to wrap it up. It's almost yeah. an hour. Um, oh, so I just I just want to well first thank you. This was fun. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but also um there was one other other boy in the in the preschool who um he was really obviously exploring enclosure and enveloping everything went inside something he would pack just sort of none of the materials inside the suitcase made any sense but they were all together in there to mm-hmm. carry around or when he painted he would paint the whole paper he would start right. by going around the edge and then paint the whole thing inside and I didn't really have to do anything other than a, like, I didn't really use that information much because he was really competent to do it, that exploration right. himself, but it made me and so many other people just think, wow, isn't Freddie interesting? Right. <laughs> and I do think that that's the idea of appro- approaching a child with curiosity. Mm-hmm. And even when we think of, um, even if there was some red flags for some sort of neurodivergence, yeah first approach it with curiosity and yeah. just see if there's things that are affecting that child's life, affecting how they can do things. Mm-hmm. A diagnosis can help with services, right. but, you know, neurodivergence, the other neurodiversity as a concept 
we all think differently. Mm -hmm. And so appreciating those differences and not worrying about somebody being different than another person, that another child would pack a suitcase based on, I'm going to, if they had a trip somewhere, I'm going to Disney World. So I have to pack a swimsuit. I have to, and they'd like do it so differently. And instead, wow, isn't this interesting how he's, yeah. He's just so interested in closing things. It doesn't even matter exactly. what it is. Yeah. Or he would he would crumple up paper into a wad and then just put it in a drawer and close the drawer. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it's just so fun to watch him and all the different ways that I could see that. That's sort of and, and I bet 40 years from now, if you visit him wherever and his if he has an office or uh-huh. whatever, you he's gonna be doing something it's gonna show up very still. similar. <laughs> um, or just like oh my God, I got this email. I have to put it into, I have these folders of where I put the different emails, Yeah. yeah. you know, and I have to put it in there so that I feel like, yeah. okay, I've taken care of that. Whatever it is, I'm sure, sure it's showing up. Maybe later. that's my, my highlighting is uh, transforming. <laughs> it's a transforming uh, schema. There we go. What else could it be? It could also be an enclosing schema. Because <laughs> right, when it's that paper where you highlight and then the highlighter Fades. goes away, yeah. it's like, Ah. Yeah. Then I got to do it all again. Uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. You're a good sport for doing homework for a podcast. Sure. Um, just because well, I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> well, I'd like to think that I might actually use the information too. Oh, okay. You probably, yeah, probably. You're pretty, pretty smart guy. Um, all right. Well, thank you. This was fun. Yeah, thanks. Um, can't wait to talk to you again, whatever topic it is. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back again with another episode next week. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.